I'm Andrew McNulty. Welcome to the Rise podcast series. For the last 25 years, I've met the best guys and girls around the world in regard to resilience, well-being, and leadership. I've been educated by them, coached by them, inspired by them, and certainly I've learned a huge amount by spending time with them. In this podcast series, you're going to get a download from those people. I hope you get educated. I hope you get motivated. I hope you get inspired. And yes, I hope you get activated to doing things differently in terms of your resilience, your well-being, and your leadership through adversity. Now more than ever, we as leaders in our own homes, in our own communities, in our teams, in our organizations, in our global companies, or in our small companies, we need to be more resilient. We need to become better leaders, and we need to rise higher. I'm extremely excited about today's Rise Higher podcast guest. Lisa Fallon grew up in Dublin. She was a young aspiring coach. She played soccer at centre midfield for Lucan and her club called Leakslip. She had an aspiration and ambition to become the first ever female coach to a men's senior team. In 2020, she made that dream a reality. Lisa Fallon is currently the head coach to the Galway United football team. Lisa Fallon, you're most welcome on the Rise Higher podcast. Hi, Andrew. Delighted to be here. You've been part of plenty of backroom staffs, Lisa, a bit like myself. A lot of, a lot of squads, a lot of uh, teams at a lot of levels. And a lot of coaches and captains and maybe senior players would talk about, let's stick to the process, let's work hard, let's be mentally cool under pressure. Uh, going right back to Clive Woodward away back in, I think it was 2003, that thinking correctly under pressure. So it's almost perennial now in changing rooms around the world, or maybe even in boardrooms around the world, that people are talking about stick to the process, stay in the moment, work hard, stay cool, be tough. Do you think in a way it's so hackneyed, Lisa, that there's a danger that people don't realize that that is the magic? I don't know. I think it really depends on the moment that you're in. I think I think you're you're right. But one of the most important things, I think, is to be present, to be in the moment and not be thinking about what comes next or what's just been before. Um, you have to be in the present because that's when it's, it's when you're present that you can you can be and you can decide and you can execute and you can um, live. And, and that's that's that for me is the key is to be present and all the work that you do in preparation for that and in in as in as in recovery afterwards and then pre prehabbing and rehabbing and all that all that stuff it all that just prepares you for the moment so your commitment to all of that during the week allows you to be to make a good decision to make a brave decision to execute it really well they're like I said they're the facilitators for those moments and and that's where it comes from and and that's why I say it's it's really important to be in the moment but but like I said it all comes from that stuff that you do every day consistently and having that commitment to it um and that trust in the process because if you don't have a process and you don't have a goal then it, it can become aimless so I think it's really important to understand where the end what the what the outcome is is the planned outcome is or the objective or the goal um, and then having a process that everybody believes in and understands and knows their role within that and then it's just about that singular application of you to your role in order to facilitate everything else that comes together and when it comes together in a team it's a really powerful 
it's a really powerful entity. And I love the way you're, you're right into coaching mode and you're right into facilitation mode and right into inspiration mode. We're going to change channels right back to the early days. Lisa Fallon, as a four-year-old girl, on the sidelines with your granddad. And I remember reading something recently, and you said that you fell in love with football for life. Can you talk us and take us right back to the four-year-old Lisa Fallon walking in the footsteps of your grandfather? Yeah, I remember he was the manager of a team, a junior soccer team called Parmistown Rangers. My two, my two uncles, my mom's brothers played on that team. Uh, one was a centre forward, one was a centre back. So if the result went well, we thought was good. Sunday dinners were brilliant. If it didn't, someone was to blame. <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, but but you know, it was it was great. It, it, you know, it often was very central to the family. Sport was always a really central theme to our family life growing up. And my granddad was somebody I admired massively. A very honest, hardworking man. Um, no wears and graces to him. He just had really good core values. Uh, I trusted him. Um, I looked up to him. And I remember like he'd be the manager and he'd be walking down the sideline. And I don't know if you, you remember Glen Rowe, um, but there was a character in it called Dinny and he used to walk with the hands behind his back. And my granddad just walked exactly that way down the pitch and um, he'd be shouting on the orders to the lads and I'd be walking behind him with my hands behind my back and 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 you know, following on the instructions, you know. So he was a great inspiration to me. And but even at that level, I, I learned I just fell in love with the game because I learned a lot about winning and losing. I learned a lot about what it took, um, about grafting, about teamwork, um, about adversity. I saw the lads go through adversity. I saw come people coming back from adversity to achieve. Um, and there was just something there was something really beautiful about it. And I just, I just loved it. I couldn't, I couldn't get away from it. I, I, I just wanted to be a part of it. And th having those games and going to those games. And like I say, I said before, there's cine camera footage of me doing that, you know, following him down the sideline back in 1980, I think it was now. Um, but it was a special time and it was a real influence to me and a real driver. And, and it was just something that, embedded in my core and I you know ever since I, can, I just can't ever remember a minute of my life where I just didn't love football and, and sport in general and what it can do for people and you know it just gives you an opportunity maybe to achieve that sometimes the rest of life doesn't and I love that about it. It's funny you say it but you know it's, it's with you for life those early memories the passion I can see shining through your eyes and, and shining through your voice, Lisa. You mentioned on Sunday afternoons after a defeat or maybe after a victory, lunch was different. I can relate to that because my earliest memories also were walking behind my father, who was the coach of the Armagh football team when I was a little boy. And I can remember Sunday lunches after a big Armagh victory. And I remember vividly also after defeat, the journeys home in the back of the car when there'd be nothing said. But that was formative for me, understanding how my father coped with both victory and defeat and how he had tried to change the culture in young men's lives and the same way as you've experienced that, of course, early in your formative years. How important, Lisa, are the formative years, do you think, to help people have those big ambitions, to help people, girls or boys, to have big dreams in life? I think they're hugely important. And, you know, if I... 
if I had the years again and if I was looking back, I would probably tell myself to never compromise my dreams because it's it's something I did actually. Um, I like I said, I fell in love with the game, but when I was kind of going into my teenage years, I I felt I'd never there were no females in football. I never saw women's football. I never saw a woman in football. And I thought it was just something that was for guys. And I, you know, I actually went through, I remembered, I went through a period where I had really wished I had been a boy just so that I could have football in my life or have it as a career or has a, have an opportunity in it. Um, and I, I remember I, I consciously made a decision that I was going to pursue a career in sports reporting because I felt it was the only way that I could work in football or have a life in football. And, and but I, I definitely compromised my dream because I felt it, it didn't conform to societal norms at that time. And looking back now, I, I remember in 1988, there was a programme called The Manageress on Channel 4 and there was um, a character called Gabriella Benson played by Sherry Lungi. And, and she was the manager of a men's football team in the first division in England. And I, like in, in hindsight, it was such, it was such an important um, influence in my career, I think, because it was the first time I ever saw a female in football, even though she was a fictitious character. And to be fair, we're 32 years on from that. And it's still, you, you know, it, it, I suppose in the UK, it hasn't happened. Obviously here now it has, um, but, it just it made me realize how important it was that I saw that program because would I have given up on a dream if if I hadn't seen it I might have um and that's why I think it's really important to understand that visibility is is, is such an important piece it's not certainly something that um I, I was always very comfortable with um I quite like to be I'm an introvert so I quite like to be in the background and work away in the background and, and just do what needed to be done. Um, but I, I, I actually learned that it was really important that that visibility piece is there because it's no point, you know, that there's an opportunity for us there to show that it can be done. And I think it's really important that we take that responsibility on and don't shirk it. A phrase you used earlier on, Lisa, was can't see and can't be. Can you talk me through what that means in the context of women or young girls and anything in life that, you know, maybe holds them back from being the best they can be? Yeah, I think I think it's it's, um, you know, it was, it was a really powerful campaign here in Ireland over the last number of years. And it probably really drove it home to me how important it was, because it wasn't until that campaign that I maybe had that consciousness um, and that opportunity to reflect on who was my inspiration? Who did inspire that dream for me? If I if I never saw women playing football or never had, you know, there weren't women's teams, there weren't women working in football. So where did it come from? What gave me that hope or that vision and inspired it? And, and it was that program. And, and for me on reflection, it was it was really important to acknowledge that um, and then to understand the roles that females in sport have now for the next generation and not just females in sport to be that, but also TV producers, media outlets to promote them, to promote females in sport, um, you know, to promote the women's game, to show men and women, boys and girls, that sport is for everybody because it really is. Um, and that the opportunities will be there for everybody as long as you, 
you know, if that's what you want to pursue and that that's the dream that you have, it's important to never compromise that. And if I was looking back now, I probably wouldn't have compromised it initially. But having said that, I loved what I did at the time. I had some incredible experiences, met some amazing people. And, and it, you know, again, when you go into reflection mode, I think a lot of um, what I learned in that period of my life doing that job probably really helped me um, when I, as my career changed and, and progressed, definitely. Do you think in hindsight, Lisa, the fact that you're, you didn't play on to your late thirties, you know, and you maybe your career was ended a little bit early because of injury. Do you think that helped and almost accelerated your coaching career? Um, I suppose I probably started coaching really bizarrely enough when I was about 14, my sister's team, they were under 12 and they had no coach and they had a really good team. So I said, I'd go down and help them and run the sessions for them and all and so it started very young with me I always loved it I always enjoyed that and just wanted people who wanted to play to be able to play you know and um and I also knew I suppose the influence that coaches that my coaches had on me um so um so yeah it was always something that was there and I suppose after the injury the second time I knew I just wanted to be involved. I knew I, and, and it was a natural progression for me then really just to, to continue on and, um, and, 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 and stay involved. And, and it, it kind of, once I was in it, it kind of escalated probably far quicker than I ever anticipated, um, culminating in, you know, actually changing my career completely um, and taking that step, you know, it was a bit of a risk at the time to leave my, my full-time job as a reporter um, to go and pursue the, the coaching, so anal, an analyst job really at that stage, which progressed then into coaching. But um, yeah, it was probably um, a brave step, but, but I knew if I didn't do it, I, I would have regretted it because for me, it's always been, you know, one of the greatest privileges you have is the opportunity to try. And if you fail or you, you're not successful the first time around, I just see that as an opportunity to, to fix things and, and go again and try again. And that failure never really scared me or intimidated me. It never inhibited me to not try something that I really believed in. And I, I always felt like any success, any kind of setbacks or failures, whatever way, or mistakes or whatever people want to call it, I always genuinely found that they were the biggest opportunities I had to grow. Um, and, and that was what, you know, for, I didn't see them as failures. I saw them as opportunities to grow or to get better and to learn. Um, and for me, that was a massive driver and, and it actually excited me. It's funny you mentioned you started coaching your 14 years of age. I'm actually intrigued, Lisa. I, I'm learning so much already about you that I never knew before, even though I've been reading so much. And obviously I've met you way back in the day. I also started coaching when I was 14 years of age when it was actually the team I was playing on. The coach was a bus driver and had no coaching capability. He knew I played for the local school boys team that was playing at a high standard. And he said, Enda, you coach the team. So I was playing and coaching the same team that I was playing on. So I'm intrigued to know how you've evolved as a coach, how you, your almost self-awareness as a coach has to continually improve, not only each season, almost each game, each week, because otherwise the players around us, they get bored of our voice or they get uh, bored of the way we approach halftime or pre-match or post-match. How much have you evolved, do you think, as a coach, Lisa, during those years? 
Oh, massively. Every day. Every day. I mean, I think you learn something new every day. Every game you play, you learn something new from the opposition, from your own players, about yourself. You know, it's about how you think about things, how you change things, how you look at things. And that's partly maybe why I love it so much is because every day is different and gives you a new challenge. And, you know, every interaction on the pitch is always going to be different and, and, and you know, has different implications and different potential outcomes and how players grow and, and how cultures grow and how tactics evolve. And it's just, it's just something I really, really enjoy. And um, so for me, I, I suppose my, my own development was always, um, it was always kind of natural. It was like one step kind of came as a result of the previous one, but I never looked too far forward. I always tried to focus on what I was doing because I felt it was such a privilege to have the roles that I had in the environments that I was in that I, I never wanted to lose them. I wanted to be the very, very best I could be, not just for the players that I was working with, but for the people who had given me the opportunities. Um, and, and for me, that was the most important piece was to stay focused, be in the moment, give my best. If, if I could improve on something to improve on it, if I could take something and go, I've done that really well, or that's really worked to, take that take those pieces as well and and continuously grow and challenge my own thought processes and challenge the environments I was in um could we be better where are the margins going to be how can we improve how can we grow how can we be better um and whilst well, never losing focus as to where we are and, and be in the moment so for me it was always part of that and I just I really enjoy learning I I you know, doing all my coaching courses and with each environment I was in, you know, with Cork City, with Northern Ireland, two really different environments. Um, you know, in one, the players are in five or six times a year. In another environment, you have them every day. Um, how do, How is that different? How does that look? Um, and in terms of philosophy, in terms of managing them, in terms of coaching them, in terms of getting the information across, um, in, in terms of creating the environment for them, because it has to be an environment that they enjoy. It has to challenge them. They have to enjoy it. They have to love what they do. Um, and then I had the opportunity then obviously to work with the Dublin senior footballers as well, which for me gave me an opportunity to come out of my comfort zone, experience a different sport, experience a different environment, but bring what I learned and what I knew into that environment to challenge that environment too. So, um, I always really, um, I always found the next opportunity just came as a result of where I was. Um, it wasn't that I pursued anything per se. It really was that I just, I had the roles, the roles I was in, I always loved and I just wanted to get better. Um, and I always took the opportunities for growth when they were there, um, but also the opportunities to learn to consistently, because I know myself how competitive sport is. You know, the next, the next person's just, behind your shoulder and they want that spot you know and if you rest on your laurels if you allow yourself to plateau you'll quickly become you know you could never sit on a success and go oh sure look aren't we marvelous that's you know that's 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 a really dangerous place to be you know you have to consistently go because at Cork City we were the chasers for three years you know we pursued Dundalk we finished second we finished second we finished second and then we we had to keep going we had to find the margins and you know, it was a relentless pursuit and it took time. And I understand that, that it does take time. It's not success is not an overnight thing. It's built on loads and loads and loads of failures and mistakes. 
And that's why it makes it so worthwhile. But the, all of those setbacks challenge you to see how much does it mean to you? How much are you going to give and keep going back till you get it right, till you get it the next time? And having that almost relentless pursuit of, of, of excellence, really, because I, I don't believe in perfection. I don't think it exists. And I don't think you can strive for something but because in sport, there is no such thing really as perfect. You might perfectly execute one shot in, but the next moment in time, you're in the same position. The picture could look really different just based on the wind or based on where the opposition player is standing. So it could be, it could be the same place, the same time, you know, the same scenario, but something could be different. So the perfect thing in one scenario could be different in the next. So I always try to pursue excellence in a moment as opposed to perfection and not put that um, pressure on myself or, or, or any players you work with because I just don't believe in perfection. It doesn't exist. Um, but, but excellence certainly does. Ten years ago, I met Arsene Wenger and he spoke about when he was looking for top players, he wanted to know who had the best motivational stamina. I was so intrigued about it. I had to, after the session, wait in a queue. And I think I waited 35 minutes, but eventually I got five minutes with Arsene Wenger. And I asked him, what did you mean by motivational stamina? And he said, for him, motivational stamina was, first of all, you have to get activated in the motivation that you really want to be the best, for example. Then you have to keep that motivation very high. And then you have to keep it over a long period of time, like the Thierry Henry's, for example. So what you're after describing to me uh, reminds me of the first time I met you, Lisa. You had the activation in the motivation then. You kept the motivation very high. And it's clear you've kept it for a very long time. Yeah, I think, yeah, but I don't look at it that way, as in, it's like, again, it's about being present. It's, you know, on reflection. And when we analyze these things, I think you can break things down and stuff. But but when you're pursuing something, it's about that living it every day. And that, um, you know, I think when something, when you really believe in something, then you can, you keep working at it. Um, you know, you only fail when you stop. I love it. I love it. Can I, can I bring it? And I'm going to shift gears now back into... Earlier on, you talked about, you know, starting off on your dreams and ambitions in a coaching world. And you mentioned briefly glass ceilings earlier on. And you challenged my thinking in preparation for this podcast about glass ceilings. You, you abruptly and pragmatically said, and hold on a second here. I want to talk about that. T to bring us through again your thinking and your beliefs on glass ceilings for girls or women in any walk of life. Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of people have said about breaking glass ceilings and by, by doing this and doing that. But for me, I think it's like the reality and the truth is I've never broken a glass ceiling ever. All I've ever done is my job. The people who've broken glass ceilings are the people who've given me the opportunities because they're the people who've done something different. Because if someone has only ever had a female or if someone's only ever had a male head coach, and up until, say, this year in Ireland, no League of Ireland club had had a female head coach. So I wasn't the game changer. I wasn't the, the, the breaker of the glass ceiling. It was the people who gave me the opportunity. It, it, because without the opportunity, it never happens. It, it, it's just the same. Um, but by giving me and having the belief in me and the confidence in me to do that, 
they break the glass ceiling, not me, because the only thing I do is my job as a head coach. And, and that's, that's the difference. I think, you know, when you set, when, when it is different, or like when, when um, new ground is broken, it certainly does bring a different weight of pressure and maybe, you know, I suppose an additional level of analysis or scrutiny or thought process around it. But, you know, you have to welcome that and you have to say that's part of the journey um, and that's why it's important. But for me, you know, as, as, as a football coach, the only thing I've ever done is be a football coach. I've never done anything different. But the people who've given me opportunities are the ones who've broken the glass ceilings. And I fear what, adv- what advice, Lisa, do you have for men and women in all walks of life, not just in football, not just in sport? What advice do you have for us around the world in terms of giving those opportunities, being braver in those opportunities, making those opportunities available more often? Yeah, and, and like we say to our players all the time, don't we? Be brave, back yourself, you know, do the right thing. Um, and that's, you know, just live, live your values, you know, be true to them yourself. Um, and for me, that's that's one of the biggest things. I think, you know, in terms of my own journey, I would probably always say, you know, never compromise your dreams and, and keep pursuing them as long as you believe in them. Um, that would certainly be one thing. And the other thing would be to surround yourself with really good people because there's going to be days in life where you are going to be the safety net and there'll be days when you need the safety net. And that's why I say have a good network of people around you because some days you'll be it and some days you'll need it. And that for me has been a huge part of my own journey is having the people around me to be and to, 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 you know, to be that for me and for me to be that for them. And that for me is very important. And the other thing I would say as well um, is to, it was a phrase that I was told a few years ago and it's, it really struck me and I, I wish I'd learned it a few years earlier, to be honest, but never take criticism from somebody you wouldn't take advice from because we live in a world now where, you know, social media is, is, is a very powerful entity it can be really positive, but it can be very, very negative and it can have a hugely significant impact on people if it's driven through the wrong motives. So for me, it would be to filter out the noise and take the criticism and take that feedback and be open to that, but from the right people and the people who can help you achieve, but also critique you and say, this is how you can improve. And the people who can critique you are generally only the ones that you would take advice from. So to to have that, you know, understanding and put that, um, give yourself that freedom to to, um, evaluate and have context on criticism, but also on praise that, you know, you don't read too much and into the positive stuff and and that you always stay level um, and approach each day in a balanced way that you don't go away with the fairies when things are good or you don't, you know, get too down or too overthinking when things are difficult because both sides are part of the journey. And inevitably, you know, in the early parts of any journey, I find the difficult days are the ones that are more prevalent because it takes a while to get things right. It takes a while for groups to settle and and cultures to form. Um, And it's as habits change and behaviors change and you get that consistency that's when the better days start to come. But you can't have the better days consistently if you don't have the harder days and that opportunity to, to really commit to it and, and, and um, be present every day. And then, you know, generally 
the, the, the results and, and the success comes as a result of all that work. And sometimes it takes years, you know, it's, it's not quick, but, but that's what success is. It's built on lots and lots of um, setbacks. Can we shift gears now into talking about mindset? How important do you think somebody's mindset is, whether it's on the pitch, whether it's in journalism, whether it's in their personal life, whether it is in sport, whether it is in leadership, how important is somebody's mindset? Hugely. I think, I think it's, um, it's probably one of the, it's probably the most important thing um, because if your mindset's not right, then it affects everything that you do. So I, I, I certainly in my own journey, I would have committed a lot of time um, and energy to my the growth of my own mindset. Um, how talk us through that? How how did you uh, develop the growth of your own mindset? Can you tell me pragmatically and practically? I had to look in the mirror. You have to look in the mirror before you look out the window. And what did you see? I saw. Well, I wanted to see what was good I wanted to see what was bad where I wanted to see my strengths my weaknesses where can I improve what am I good at um what you know where can what what are my key areas for growth um and to understand that and to be because like I said no one's perfect and it's okay <laughs> it's okay not to be perfect um, that's why we have teams that's because we have lots of personalities and lots of people with different strengths and weaknesses and that's what makes it that's what makes it um that that's what success is built on is lots and lots of people over a long period of time and even if you're on a, on a singular journey there's still a lot of people who influence your journey along the way um but i always think i suppose if i look back at the people who influenced me i think there's people that you know coaches mentors who've made a really significant impact on me and my growth and my development um, and there's a lot of people who'll tell you all the reasons why you can't do something and all the reasons not to do it. Um, but then there's people who tell you that you can and that you should and that you and that they'll be there for you. Um, and for me, I suppose, when I look back at the impact that different types of people have had on me, that for that for me is a really good indicator to the type of coach that I want to be. I want to be the type of person that tells people they can and helps them to achieve that um, because I've learned that without the mentorship and without the, the critical feedback and the difficult feedback and the positive feedback and the good advice um, and the opportunities for reflection without all of that I've realized that I'd be probably in a really different place and maybe would never have had the opportunity to pursue the job pursue this role which is the one I've always wanted to do and I think you know I've learned to never underestimate the impact that you can have on somebody. And finally what messages and what advice would you have for women, girls, boys and men around the world who've got big dreams and ambitions but maybe just aren't backing themselves enough? Just to, to keep every keep your mind open keep your mind open and no one has the same path. There is no set path to anywhere. Um, but what there is, is different ways to get there. And, and you, every person has the opportunity to choose their path and, and set their road. Um, great poem that inspired me, inspired me when I was really young uh, by Sir Robert Frost. 
two roads diverged in the yellow wood and I, I took the one less traveled by and that has made all the difference. That was the amazing Lisa Fallon. What a message to close on this Rise Higher podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you. You've been listening to the Rise podcast series, helping you to develop your strength, leadership and resilience in these remarkable times. Rate, review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Andy McNulty. Thank you for listening.